Welcome to the Eric Anders Langs, everybody. Uh, Cheyenne and I were having a conversation about ASMR. Let's just get back into that. Can you talk about that? Man, um, it's a weird obsession somewhat that I've had. I just randomly saw it first with Cardi B when she was doing it. Uh-huh. And then Wait, I like... she did it? She did it. I didn't know that. Yeah, and she had like the little... Like... <laughs> Yes. And she did her nails. <laughs> You're doing it right now. I can hear it. What? But it, I, it just opened up this weird world to me of this thing that people do. So. I'm just picturing on like a Saturday night, just like I'm busy. <laughs> watching YouTube, watching people whisper. What is it? I don't know what it is about it. I don't know either. But I mean, just the noises that people make with, I don't know, it's strange. Someone, I did, I did watch, I don't know why it came, I think it came up, uh, I'm going to try to make this into work, but I think it came up for work because we were talking about like, the small details of golf that have a sound. Like we were, you know when you're on a really quiet course and you can hear the ball mm-hmm. like whizzing? Yeah. I, that's kind of like it, right? Yeah, I mean, it's like therapeutic almost. Like for me, it's a weird sound, but I love when I get on concrete and I hear my shoes kind of like click, click. Yeah. It's just weird. Or like the contact that you make, it just is a relaxing sound, I guess. The shoes with metal spikes or plastic? Plastic, yeah. So I wear the plastic spikes that Nike makes and um, they have kind of that click clack and I just, I like it. I like metal spikes. I can't, I'm into metal. Old school. I don't wear them, but I think we have a set in here, but I just love the, uh, there's something about the sound of metal spikes for you. You sound like a cowboy. Yeah. Or a cowgirl, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Whichever floats your boat, yeah. (laughs) We, um, so Cheyenne, you're you're a professional golfer. I am. And, um, you know, you've, you're, you're unusual in many ways. How would you Am say, how, how would you say? <laughs> um, uh, unusual. I don't, I mean, I think I'm pretty unique to golf. Um, I know growing up watching golf, there weren't a lot of, um, minorities in the sport. And so in that sense, I'm pretty unique. Um, you know, having the last name of Woods is definitely unique. Um, I've heard it before. I can't place it. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know. There's this guy out there that plays golf, but, um, <laughs> I don't know. What else? What, what, what do you think? Well, I mean, those are the things I was going yeah. to touch on. Okay. We, uh, before we started the podcast, you and I talked about a crazy idea I had. Mm-hmm. Can we? Do we have a, uh, a Colt? Can I borrow your laptop? Can you give us the Players Tribune article? Do you want to read it now? Yeah, I think we should it. start with it. So I'm actually really excited to see it again because, like I told you, I haven't read it or really looked over it since I had put it together. Yeah. So I think it'll be kind of a nice reflection a few years later. To I think it, this is written in 2015, and it's yeah. for Derek Jeter's uh, Players <laughs> Tribune, which is articles written. By athletes, and let me just give a little bit more. Um, you know, the reason why I came up is because we're we're getting ready to do a podcast, an interview with you, and one of the thoughts was like, well, geez, I don't, you know, I, I would never be the guy that would just ask you about your uncle Tiger Woods. Right. That's not what I would do. And in our research, I came up on this article, and I was like, wow, you wrote this, and it answers any possible question I could ever have about this. <laughs> and I think in a poetic way, it could be really cool to hear you read it again. So for those of you listening. That's the backstory. Uh, I'm going to shut up now. All right. So this is the Players' Tribune from June 16, 2015, uh, entitled, What's in a Name? How often are you asked personal questions about your uncle? Once a month? Once a year? Never? For me, it happens almost every day. But that's just kind of how it works when you're a professional golfer and your uncle happens to be Tiger Woods. Every so often, I'll meet a random acquaintance acquaintance. Uh, They'll introduce themselves as if they're interested in how I'm doing or what I'm up to, but inevitably, the first question I'll get asked is, so how is Tiger doing? Or what's the last, when's the last time you talked to Tiger? And all I can do is laugh and provide some generic answer that they'd like to hear. At this point, it's all become fairly routine for me. 
the very first time I was compared to Tiger, I think I had to be like nine or ten years old, around right around when I first started playing in golf tournaments. Tiger was getting huge at that point. He was really starting to dominate. And at that age, I thought it was really cool that people would talk about it with me. My junior golf coach even named me Tigress. I liked it because, like a lot of kids, I wanted to be just like my uncle when I grew up. I would dress like Tiger. I would wear Nike from head to toe. Then as I got older, people would compare our, prog our progress or assume things about me as a person because of who my uncle was, and that's when it started to get old. I mean, I get it. He is one of the most famous human beings on the planet, and we share a last name as well as a profession. But let me clear something up once and for all. I love my uncle, and I treasure the advice he gives me when we speak every few months, but I am not Tiger Woods. On that same note, my grandfather, Earl, who was Tiger's father, and I were very close, and, um, but I was never his protege. In fact, I only went out on the golf course with him twice, ever. Um, yes, golf provided a great connection for us. I remember talking about the game with him frequently and waking up early with him to watch Tiger play on TV. I even picked up my first club when I was just three years old at his house, playing around in the same garage where Tiger got his start. My grandfather always spoke like he knew that I would play professionally one day. He was so sure of it, too. That's one thing I'll always remember. In so many ways, he taught me how to truly love golf and instilled an important confidence in my game. But he was my grandfather, not my coach. While I'm proud to have made it to the highest level of professional golf, my career hasn't had the same arc as Tiger's. He rose to the top extremely fast and was considered a prodigy from a very young age. But I took a different path. I always dreamed of being a professional golfer, and there was never a doubt in my mind that I would one day play on the LPGA Tour. But while I was very successful, I was a very successful junior golfer growing up in Phoenix and won a handful of national events, I never dominated like Tiger did early on in his career. Many people assumed, or expected really, that because I had the genes, my career would follow the same path as his. But the truth was that I had to work my ass off to earn everything I've ever accomplished because success didn't come quite as fast or easily for me as it did for Tiger. When I first began playing professionally, sometimes the media would almost make me feel like I was there just for show because of my last name. I often felt like I didn't matter, almost like I was a sideshow instead of an actual player. When I finally did earn my LPGA Tour card, after grinding it out, I felt a tremendous amount of pride in my personal accomplishment, but I was also happy to put the doubters, who thought I was just a name, in their place. Of course, making it to the LPGA led to increased exposure, which resulted in even more comparisons. I've had many interactions with reporters who are the only topic of the conversation with my uncle. This is hardly surprising because in the golf world, the main question on everyone's mind is always, who is the next Tiger Woods? Just ask Rory or Jordan Spieth. With me having the name and being related to him, it's very, it's very easy, sorry. With me having the name and being related to him, it's very easy to figure, well, maybe she'll dominate the woman's game like Tiger dominated the men's game when he was her age. I'd be lying if I said I don't constantly feel the pressure of that expectation. It's impossible to ignore. When I was developing my game, I wasn't dominating. I still haven't really dominated, and because of that, for a while, I felt like I wasn't doing well enough. I felt like I could never live up to what people were expecting of me, and that's difficult to cope with. 
Over time, I've learned to set my own standard. Everyone has their own journey and their own purpose in life, so I'm finding mine. I think for a 24-year-old, I'm doing pretty well for myself. I don't know what the future has in store for me, but I know what my goals are, and they aren't dictated by anyone in this world except myself. It's exhausting to live your life in terms of comparisons. By doing so, regardless of what you accomplish, you're never going to appreciate your achievements. I don't need to be the next Tiger Woods. I just want to become the best version of myself. Of course, I realize that regardless of what I accomplish in my career, there are probably going to be plenty of people who always consider me Tiger's niece. I'm very proud to be related to my uncle, but it's not what defines me as a golfer or a person. Yes, my last name is Woods, but you can call me Cheyenne. How does, it, wow. uh, how does that sound, reading it back? You wrote this four years ago, maybe three yeah, and a half. Yeah, that is crazy. I, for, I honestly, I forgot what I had written in that. And it's the perfect uh, reflection and the perfect explanation of how I have felt in my career. Um, and in a lot of ways, I still feel that way because, it, like I said there, it's never going to stop. Right. So that was honestly a good reminder for the stage I am in my career now just to who cares, you know, and it just is what it is. We talked a little bit about um, that experience that you had that I've had, and mm -hmm. I, I don't know how much I've really talked about on the podcast, so I'll just say a little bit, but basically, I, I'm not a singer, but it, if I was, it'd be awful. <laughs> My ex-wife is a very, very famous singer, and basically, a lot of times, we would go to parties, and people would be like, not, it, the, 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 the one that pissed me off the most is when someone didn't care who I was. Mm-hmm. They could literally look past you. And then there'd be a moment where they would either figure out from someone else, and you could watch it happen. Oh, yeah. Uh, who I was related to by marriage, and perhaps you right. by blood. And then they would come back, and they would say, so, <laughs> tell me about yourself. <laughs> and they just couldn't be more entertained with the idea of talking wow. to you. And, th and it would happen within a couple minutes. They, they could never hold it in. And right. then, you know, I had this idea about you know something maybe your wife would be interested in mm. and then I was and it's I, at some point I just started walking away in the mid-sentence yeah yeah and I struggled with that because I didn't want to be rude or I didn't want to present myself um in a, a cocky or arrogant way of just walking away from situations but you have to put yourself first and that's I think it's very disrespectful for people to approach you in that way I've had so many people um at golf tournaments come up to me and while taking a photo or getting an autograph, the only thing that they'll say is, this is the closest I'll ever get to Tiger Woods. And I'm like, what the fuck? Okay, <laughs> like that makes me feel great. <laughs> or, you know, people will say, aren't you Tiger's niece? And now I, I say, no, I'm Cheyenne. And I think just being able to redirect um, people in that way is very helpful. And I've learned that you, you have to put yourself first, like I said before. You always do. And um, people just, they don't know how to act sometimes. No. Well, the, the thing that I ultimately came around to, which was like no, um, no animosity, they have no idea. Yeah. They, they, they don't yeah. know. No one has any idea what it feels like to be completely unseen in a situation. Right. Like I'm literally a napkin. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even a napkin, actually. <laughs> I'm like the idea of a napkin. Just the idea. Yeah. yeah. Add to that, you're a uh, female golfer who's also a minority. Right. Yes. So it's like, that's, <laughs> so, that's uphill. Yeah. You know, and I, I 
forget to put things into perspective in that way sometimes. I mean, I do have obviously the last name of Woods, who, um, you know, Tiger is a huge figure in the sport, and so that comes with a lot. Um, but then also being one of very few minorities in the game comes with responsibilities as well. And that's something that I hold closer to my heart than ever anything family-related, um, and just trying to represent myself in the right way and, and create a path for those following. But um, definitely the combination of the two creates quite an interesting journey, but um, it's been it's been all right. Yeah. Yeah. You, I, I, one of my favorite, one of the most important things I think I really look to do in golf is to really open up the idea that anyone can play. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, we actually heard a stat the other day that was something like 70% of professionals started at public courses. That's awesome. Um, I'm curious to know a little bit about your, I read about the first time you picked up a club, mm -hmm. Earl's house, whatever, yeah. but where did you sort of develop your relationship with the game and, and how did that look for you? Um, so I started playing golf when I was super young. Um, neither of my parents play golf. My only connection was through my grandfather. So when I was growing up in Phoenix, you know, my mom, we didn't, we didn't know anything much about golf. And so we didn't know about a driving range. We didn't know about like the fact that you just go to a course and play. So we would go to my local park and we would take a handful of balls and I would just see how off, how long it would take me to get from one side of the park to the other. And that's how I started to play golf and learn golf and love it. I just would go to the local park and, um, people, like, a, like a field. Yeah, literally a field. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, you know, six or seven years old and, I was good at the time, and so people would kind of stop and watch, and I loved it. Um, but then from there, my grandfather kind of told us of local programs where I can continue to, to develop, and um, then I got pretty good and competitive, and I was always competitive. I have two older brothers, and I was such a tomboy, and I loved doing anything I could win at, and so I, I loved golf. Going back into that time of your life, was there a moment that was like – do you have a do you have like an early memory of the game? Because I'm sure the three year old thing you don't remember that, right? No, that, that's a story told to you. Yeah, not at all. What's the story that you remember that's like almost blurry, but it has golf in it that that mm -hmm. was that you think about? Um, I will never forget the very first tournament I ever played in. Um, I'm, I think it was seven or eight years old, nine holes, little girls, uh, LPGA girls golf club, and I grew up watching and playing basketball. I ran track. Um, I had family who played football, so I was always around those types of sports. So in my first tournament, nine holes, I shot 93. And I get to the leaderboard, and I have the highest score. And I was so excited because I had the highest score, and I won the tournament. I won the whole tournament, and I was, like, saying it kind of loud. And my mom was like, Cheyenne, no, like, this is golf. You have to have the lowest score. And so that was, like, a quick lesson learned there of um this new sport that i was playing that is not the highest score so <laughs> it was it was fun but i'll always remember that as probably one of my earliest memories of playing golf so then you then and then i guess to get back into this article at what point then do you basically because at that point there, there's a there's a point in everyone's life when it when you move out of the direct experience of talking to someone and then you begin to think about other things like cultural implications like money skin color relationships mm -hmm. uh you know who, who you're related to whatever um and and do you remember that moment because i i had it for me i remember you know just just all of a sudden it was like everything kind of shifted a little bit mm -hmm. it was like sixth grade uh you know 12 years old or something yeah that's interesting um i think for me it was maybe high school um, I grew up going to public school, and then I went uh, for high school, specifically 
for education and golf. They had a great golf team. Um, it was all girl Catholic private school. And for me, it was a shock. One, I guess racially, you know, it wasn't very diverse and on the golf team, um, all of that. And then it was an extremely wealthy school and I did not grow up wealthy like whatsoever. So to see girls pulling up in their BMWs and their Mercedes and, um, you know, as a golfer, you're around that lifestyle a lot too. Just, I mean, it, a lot of times it's a country club sport. Um, that was probably the first time that I had noticed any difference between my growing up and others around me and peers and then starting to travel and play in junior events that are expensive that a lot of kids play in all of them or a lot of kids go to academies. Um, and I was very fortunate to be able to go to this high school, but that was definitely the first time that I, I started to notice anything of that nature. How Do you remember how it made you feel? Um, I, I remember being ashamed <laughs> yeah. of how I grew up. Um, I remember, you know, growing up and almost being, I've, I've never even talked to my parents about this, <laughs> but, um, you know, being ashamed of, you know, being nervous of bringing friends to the house, mm -hmm. you know, because they might be expecting a certain lifestyle or house because of who I am or um, how they know me at school. Um, so then growing into that environment, it was just very different to see um, people who grew up very differently and mm -hmm. to having the dynamic of how I grew up versus Tiger at the time, who's this, you know, billionaire athlete. So it's different. It's very different. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, you know, when a, a kid is like, uh, like crawling around and they're totally not shy and they're just like, huh. Ah, and then all yeah. of a sudden the parents are like, why aren't you saying hi? And there it's yeah. like, it experiences self-consciousness for the first time. Yeah. You get yeah. kind of nervous. And then I think it happens again mm -hmm. when we understand like the element of sociology, like you're saying, like, right. where do I live? Where do you live? Right. I grew up in like, um, you know, a middle class, upper middle class situation mm -hmm. And for me, the moment was um, I was I was I could walk to elementary school. Mm -hmm. It was like less than a mile. It was a beautiful walk. Like I would be proud if I could raise my child. My mm -hmm. I don't have children, but if I could raise them in that situation, nice house, whatever. And but I remember one day I was walking home from school, and it like I realized that this wasn't the way it was for everybody. Mm. Like there was you know in New Jersey there was like Newark, like downtown right. Newark, which is like a tr it is a different situation. Yeah. And yeah, I remember, I remember being ashamed of this, of the positive situation I had. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's so interesting. Yeah. Cause I was like, oh, this is like, and, and, and then, um, yeah. Okay. So let's keep, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not editing. I promise. There's uh -oh. no editing to the podcast. <laughs> okay. about it. Right. Um, but, uh, so then, so then at what point are you like, I'm going to do this with I'm, golf? Yeah. I'm going to do this. Um, it always was in me. And I think from growing up and having that connection to Tiger, that was what I was going to do. Like well, you I were told you were going to do it as well. Some, not actually, no, actually. Um, my grandpa always thought that, you know, I was going to be a great golfer. And so that kind of instilled in me the confidence that I could do it. But my parents were great in um, putting me in every sport possible. Mm. I played a lot of sports growing up all the way through high school. And they allowed me to choose what I wanted to do. Um, but having that, you know, watching Tiger on TV, like, why can't I do that? You know? And so, um, it was, it was, I guess, instilled in me just from the relationship. But then, um, I did have the choice of wanting to continue and pursue it. So I would say high school, when I started to play more nationally and competitively and be recruited by colleges, I saw it was a possibility and that I was actually good. Um, and that's when I wanted to really take it long term. 
speaking about your background now, do you have any advice for young golfers? Um, young golfers, I would, the most important thing is always just having fun with it. I think nowadays it's just so serious. It's so competitive and, you know, girls are, are playing and traveling on these tour like schedules at such a, a young age and turning pro so early. Um, I would say definitely just enjoy your youth, enjoy every level that you come across in uh, competitive golf or even as, as a kid and a young woman. Um, whether it be high school, college, or but just just enjoy it and, and live in the moment. Because um, I think a lot of times, especially as an athlete, you're just looking for that next tournament or that next year, that next milestone. But um, I would trade anything to go back and be on like a high school team or a college team. Those are my best years. Like that was the most fun I ever had in golf. So definitely enjoy it. I feel like everybody says that about their life, right? Yes. Like, like is they're like, I would love to go back to that time. Mm-hmm. Where would you? Uh, she went to Wake Forest. Yes, I did. Would you go back? Is that is there a specific moment of that mm-hmm. experience that you would go back to? Um, just my interactions with my team. We were best friends. You know, practice, workouts, travel. We'd have dinner together. We lived together. Um, we were so close. So I think just the dynamic of being on a team, um, going to football games, going to basketball games, just the whole college experience in general. Obviously, there's the downside of being broke. Um, and studying and that's like, that's not fun, but the bigger picture of it all, college is such a great experience. So that in general would just be my go-to. Um, so I didn't go to college Okay. and I was never on a golf team okay. and I'm not really that good at golf. <laughs> all right. I'm okay. I'm okay. We've got a lot in common. <laughs> We're both in the same room at the same time. That's, that's prior yes. number one. Um, but I guess I'm curious to know, like beyond obviously the camaraderie and the uh, time together, what is it like to be on a golf team? At a, at, I mean, you, this is Arnold Palmer's college. This is a big mm-hmm. deal. The, the golf team yeah. doesn't mess around. Right. Yeah. That's one reason why I went to Wake for the main reason I went to Wake was because of the history of the program. So many great golfers have gone through and so been to be a part of it. I think it allows you to appreciate the opportunity. It allows for me, I really learned a work ethic going there and learning from the coaches, learning from the alumni who come back, and learning from the girls around me who come from different um, backgrounds. Um, so for me, it was definitely just a learning experience of being on a team, and it's the first time you're really working with people other than like my individual coach or my mom's watching me practice. <laughs> so you learn just from those around you, and so that was a cool experience. What did you learn? Um... I learned that I had to get better. <laughs> I wasn't as good as I thought I was. Um, and so you kind of get that fire in your belly of something to work towards. You know, you're practicing next to a girl who you want. I wanted to be number one on the team. You know, I wanted to be an All-American. And um, so I'm seeing these girls who some went to academies, some didn't. And I'm picking up things here and there of how to practice or different mindsets and um, priorities too, especially being in college, you, you have to manage a lot and you have the social aspect, you have the school and then the golf. So, um, I definitely learned how to prioritize. Um, and then I think the work ethic too. When you're, I mean, I, yeah, I could imagine very easily getting distracted. Mm-hmm. How long did it take you to sort of get, find your rhythm within the, cause you have four years. Yeah. Yeah, four years. I know the college is four years. I don't know why I said it like that. I just didn't know. Maybe you went for shorter or longer. Yeah, some people leave early. There you go. Um, I thought you left so. early. That's what I thought. I went for four years. <laughs> um, I would say it took probably my freshman year and even maybe half of my sophomore year 
to really get into a flow and a rhythm of what I was, the purpose I was there for, which was I wanted to become a better golfer and I wanted to earn an education. Um, so that, it took maybe a year and a half of really getting into that because it is such a different environment. You know, I, I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. I went all the way out to North Carolina. It was a totally different part of the world, the country, um, different people. Um, I didn't date really until I went to college either. So then you have that aspect. And Wait, going, until you went to college? Yeah. Okay. I, never had, I thought you were yeah. going to say you didn't date in college because no, you were no, so no. busy. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't really date till I went to college. And can, so, we, can, we, can we talk about this? Okay. Because <laughs> if you don't want to, we don't have to. But It's okay. okay. I mean, it depends on what you ask. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just curious why. Yeah. Um, well, in high school, I went to an all-girl high school. Right. Uh, so I really didn't interact with guys much until I graduated. Um, and then two... Might be a good thing. Yeah, that's what I hear, actually. <laughs> might, might not be that bad. <laughs> that's what I hear. So maybe that was, that was a good thing. Um, and I think just, too, I've, I've played a lot of sports and I've played golf and... Um, it was never a thing, hmm. I guess. Did your brothers have a role in it? Were they like, you're not dating or? No, not really, actually. My brothers are significantly older, so uh, they were how already much older? at it. Um, let's see, I'm 28. They are 44, so they're like 15 years older. Okay. My yeah. brother and sister are 10 years older than me. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you kind of, it's like. Kind of, yeah. Gap, the, technically speaking, we're only children. Yeah. That's what they say. Yeah, that's a, true. Yeah. yeah, that's true. But I feel like that has a lot of negatives. But. Yeah, I don't identify <laughs> as an only child. Right, exactly. Um, unless it's beneficial to me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Typical only child. Yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. Um, so okay. So then, so then you start dating in college. Yeah, yeah. I had uh, one boyfriend in college that was pretty long term. But yeah, that was all new too. Like, how do you date and how do you? I don't know. There's so many guys and college guys are like kind of gross. So you have to, <laughs> you kind of have to weed them out, right? right. Filter them out. And uh, you learn a lot about yourself and about relationships and friends. And yeah. um, you're meeting people from all over the country that you wouldn't have otherwise really interacted with. Um, but I think too, that's why my best friends are still my friends in college that we talk every day. So really? Yeah. Even do you live all in the same place or no? We, spread I mean, out? I've got a friend in LA. I've got a friend in New York. We're literally all spread out. But um, that connection that you create in college, that bond of things you experience, and you know, four years together is a long time. So, yeah. And so you uh, you go travel. How, what what does your daily life look like? What is your what is your life like now? Um, so I'm getting ready to start playing again. So I've been just here in Phoenix practicing and working out. Um, then we, I hop on a plane tomorrow to Australia. I land on Monday. I'll start practicing. We start playing on Thursday. And, um, so a lot of time is spent on a plane, whether it's for a tournament or a sponsor obligation or just a pro-am, an outing. Um, but a lot of time spent in hotels and air, airports. Do you have, I, I've <laughs> experienced both sides of this. Like one is, do you need a glass of water? No, I'm good. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Um, one is that's like exhilarating and the other is it's yeah. exhausting. It is exhausting. I absolutely love to travel. Um, I love it. But at, like you said, at, at the same time, it's very exhausting just being on the go constantly and living out of a suitcase. And um, I've been home now for, I mean, most of the off season. So you get comfortable. You know, you get comfortable being in one spot. But um, I love traveling. I love experiencing just the competitive life. Um, I played almost two full years on the European tour. And... Um, I loved it, you know, traveling the world and seeing all these countries and, and meeting people from everywhere. It's just a lot of people don't ever have this opportunity. So it's amazing. And I think especially being young, you have to take advantage of it. Um, so I try to do that as best I can. 
favorite city uh, that you visited on the European tour? Um, I have a few. Go ahead. I would say I loved Prague. It's probably the most beautiful place I've ever been. Um, I loved Morocco. We played in Marrakesh and Agadir, and it's just, it's insane. Um, and then I love the entire country of South Africa. <laughs> really? Yes. Um, the people, um, the culture, the energy, it's just beautiful. And then um, South Africa is where I went bungee jumping. Whoa. And so that was cool. From um, how high up? I don't even know. Have you jumped out of a plane? Yes. Whoa. I love that stuff. I love that stuff. So... <laughs> Um, I try to do it as often as I can, but some people have concerns of me getting injured, so I think they... Oh, come on. <laughs> You're going to be fine. So, yeah. I know. I say that, too. Yeah. Yeah. I jumped out of a plane this year for the first time. Did you really? It was... Yeah, I mean... Where? Uh, Hawaii. How was it? Well, like, I'm afraid of flying. Okay. I, I'm not I'm not really anymore. I used to be... It used to really mess me up more, but yeah. now I'm just kind of like... I. I it's exa- It's too tiring to okay. get afraid anymore, so now yeah. I'm just like, whatever. Yeah, especially if you travel a lot. If it, if it happens, it happens. <laughs> like, I'd be lucky, yeah. really. If, if we go down, like, I'd be lucky. But I sat right by the opening in the back of the plane, mm-hmm. so I had to watch us climb to 13,000 feet and jump. Yeah. yeah, I mean... I don't know. You know, it's, it's interesting to think about... In that moment, like, probably it was one of the few... There's, you get a handful of moments in your life where you feel more alive than any other time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. W- what are those for you? Uh, for me, I mean, obviously that moment of skydiving. Um, uh, you get to the edge of the plane and you're literally standing on the outside of a plane. And you have no, I mean, yes, you have a choice, but you're going to go. And that was the one moment where I, you know, if I die, I die. Like, but this is life. Like, you just have to live. Like, I'm going to jump. And it was awesome. Um, but that's why I, I'm so, I love that adrenaline rush. You don't really get that in golf so much. I mean, it's different situations maybe, but, um, I just, I love that. Um, so that is definitely a highlight of my life. Yeah. <laughs> just, just standing on the outside of a plane actually just got me. I just got nervous. Oh just that God. vision, this image. But isn't it a good nervous? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Did oh, you ever get a chance that. to play in the Pro-Am here at the Waste no, Management? No, but I would love to play 16. You have to do it. Yeah. Have I did it played? last year and I was terrified. How did, did you hit the green? I hit the green. Okay. That's impressive. I, li- I almost made birdie. <laughs> I like lipped out. Wow. And you said you're not a good golfer. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm very humble. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I get it. Uh, we'll be right back, everybody. All right, everybody. Precision Pro Golf. This is take three. Bet you want to know what happened to the other two takes. Well, I flubbed a line or two, and then I probably cursed. I think I needed to go to the bathroom during one of those. But anyway, Precision Pro can tell you exactly how far away the bathroom is from wherever you're standing, as long as it's in a direct sight line. It can even tell you if it's above or below you, and it'll vibrate upon isolating those numbers. Anyway, back to the script. Precision Pro Golf is the maker of award-winning golf rangefinders. That's not a driving rangefinder. That is a, I don't even know why they call it a rangefinder. It's a pin finder. It's a Precision Pro Golf pin finder. I'm sorry. I hope I don't get in trouble for renaming the product. But anyway, you, as a listener of the Eric Anders Lang Show, have a deal in store, okay? Not in store. It's online. Let me just get that clear to you guys and gals. Okay, look, we're always getting the best deal for you, and it's the rangefinder that my golf spy said is the best value rangefinder on the market. How many times do I have to repeat that to get it inside your heads? It is the best value rangefinder on the market. I can say personally, I use it. Personally, I like it. Personally, I love it. I think... It loves me. The reason why I would say it might love me is I'm going to jump ahead in the script. I'm going to tell you about the Precision Care Package that the NX7 Pro Slope comes with, 
which includes free lifetime battery replacement. Okay, listen to that. What that means is it loves me, okay? Free lifetime battery replacement. That's 78.69 years in the U.S. So a two-year warranty and all the features that golfers want, like slope-adjusted yardages. You know what I'm saying? Slope. I had a caddy named Slope once. It was at uh, Oakmont. My shop slope. He didn't talk like that. But anyway, pulse vibration lets you know when you hit the flag with your hands, not with the ball, because when you hit it with the ball, you're probably screaming. Anyway, it's basically as satisfying as when you airdrop something. You feel me, Apple users? I'm sorry, Android users. I do not have an analogy that can simulate anything happening in your life because I only use an Android when I, whatever, this is not that. Anyway, also, I'm sure that in 78 years, when you die, you will have a Precision Pro built into your retina, or you will be dead, and this ad will no longer be relevant. Anyway, focusing on the script, you're getting a hell of a deal when you get the NX7 Pro Slope Rangefinder because you're going to get $20 off. In some states, that's two burritos. In other states, it's four. It really depends on where you're coming from. It's all relative. But either way, you're just going to deal it back to the My Golf Spy, saying it's the best value rangefinder on the market. Well, we are two and a half minutes into this ad, and I apologize. But the point is, go to precisionprogolf.com to add the best golf rangefinder to your bag, your golf bag, or your backpack, school bag, suitcase, wherever you want to put the rangefinder. It's fine with me and them. I'm not sure other listeners are going to be okay with it. But anyway, swing with confidence, hit more greens with Precision Pro Golf. We're talking stats, people. Get the numbers, and then do the math, and then play golf. Okay, bye. All right, everybody. Time to hear from maybe what's soon to become your best friend, Blue Chew. Okay, here's the deal. Do you remember the days when you were always ready to go? I'm not talking about going to the bathroom. I'm talking about increasing your performance and getting that extra confidence. You guessed it, on the driving range. Nope, I mean in bed. Seriously, listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue, not the color that your balls were before you got this wonderful. Okay, moving on. BlueChew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know it's the real deal. I've tried it, and I'm afraid to say I couldn't leave the house for beep. And it's the stuff that works, exclamation point. You can take them anytime, day or night. You can even eat them in a sandwich. I'm just kidding. I haven't actually looked into that. But the point is, even on a full stomach, because they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. For example, after getting your sandwich at Chick-fil-A and you realize that maybe you were hungry for something else. That's the phone ringing, folks, but it's not Blue Chew calling me to tell me that this ad is unairable. It's someone else calling me to find out if I really use Blue Chew. Anyway, hang on, because here's the deal. This isn't just for guys with dysfunction. It's for any guy who wants extra function and to enhance their performance in the bedroom. Now, here is actually an interesting subject because have I, do I realize that you can always be better at something that you're not the best? Tiger Woods, for example. All right, I'm going to leave that there. I'm not going to go any further. Anyway, Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package. That means that it doesn't say Blue Chew all over it. I'm going to get laid in four minutes. So there's no in-person doctor's visit and no waiting at the pharmacy. And best of all, no more awkwardness. Unless you eat a lot of blue chew before the date. Okay, moving on. They're made in the USA, and since blue chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. So right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. That means you listening right now. Pull over the lawnmower, get out your pen and paper. You're going to go to bluechew.com and get your first shipment free. Free? Wait, hang on. Free? You're going to get your first... 
Jeez, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna text this to everybody except mom and dad. Please skip past this. This is embarrassing. Anyway, you're gonna get your first shipment free when you use the special promo code Eric E R I K. Don't spell my name wrong this time, folks. Just pay five dollars shipping. Again, that's blue B L U E Chew C H E W dot com. Promo code Eric E R I K to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. All right, folks, you know my favorite golf shoe, don't you? I think you do. It's three-stripe life, y'all, and that means Adidas. Um, and so anyway, I just wanted to tell you that when I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Tour 360, obviously, and uh, they've made a huge update to the Tour 360, and uh, the two letters that it's concerned with are the letters X and T, okay? The Tour 360 XT changes the game, okay? It's lighter, so your feet feel even better after a round. By the way, a light golf shoe is what I'm all about. A heavy, there are some other companies making heavy golf shoes, and I'm just like, by the way, I weigh enough. There's enough going on. I'm carrying a golf bag. I'm carrying my team. Um... Tour XT changes the game. It's lighter, so your feet feel even better after a round, and it still features that boost, y'all. Do you know where boost comes from? It And boost is cool because it only comes in black and white. I don't know if you noticed that. And actually, they the guy who made boost like was going to bring it to some other, you know, they, they were shopping it around, and everyone else said no. Adidas was like, I'll take that boost, even though it's only black and white. And what did Adidas do with it? They made it awesome. I'm looking at boost right now on my feet boost on my feet uh and it has an x-shaped traction system that gives you insane stability literally it's not sane it's literally crazy your feet will literally be like i'm crazy best part it comes in spikeless Ooh, that's tight the first spikeless ever in the history of the tour 360 crazy comfortable and perfect for the course get your pair at adidas.com thank me later follow adidas golf for all the latest and greatest that's all true statements right there check it out go support adidas because they're a good company good people i like it Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. Uh, you know, the idea of talking about, like, those, those things that really make you feel alive. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking a little bit on the way here about what other podcasts you listen to. Yeah. And you said you're really into podcasts. Yes. And um, you started talking about Oprah. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's um, she's an inspiring person. She's amazing. Um, yeah, obviously, Oprah's been on the scene forever. I used to watch a show after school every day. Um, but recently, with her Super Soul Sunday show she has, um, which she turns into a podcast, it just is, it opens up this whole other world of just learning about yourself and learning about the world. And um, I love listening to her podcast when I travel or when I'm home. Um, every podcast is so different, but like I was saying, they have these commonalities of just learning how to grow as a person. And I just, I think it, there's so many positives to take out of it. My mom sends this to me and I, I need to listen to it more. You got to get into it. But she even does, she does the uh, Deepak Oprah meditation class. Yes. Have yeah. you done this? I did. So every so often they do the 21-day meditation, and it's free if you download it at the right time. But um, I just started meditating last year. Really? Um, 
And it's so interesting because I was never one. I was never one to be into yoga. Like I hate yoga. Why do you hate um, yoga? Why do you hate yoga? It's boring to me. I live in Los Angeles, so yeah. you get off the plane and they, you start doing yoga right away. Everywhere. Yeah, just <laughs> Everywhere. yoga. Yeah. The Uber Travel is actually cheaper yoga if you mat. do yoga. Yeah. Really. Yeah. <laughs> See, I don't know. I just have never liked it. Right. I try it. I know it's good for you. Um, but the meditation was a way for me to kind of get into that realm of things. Um, and I think too, a lot of people are uncomfortable with even being alone with their thoughts, you know, and meditation really forces you to face that and be quiet, learn how to quiet your mind and, um, be aware of your whole body as one. And, you know, we live in such a crazy world, especially being an athlete and traveling and being on the go constantly. It's very rare that you have those moments of having that quiet and that, um, that alone time to where, to really face your thoughts and, and understand them. You know, it's interesting. I've done a lot of research on this. And I, as a meditator myself, yeah. I've never thought about the idea that, right, you're an athlete. And so you spend, I'm assuming, your life seeking one thing, mm-hmm. right? Which is, um, what is it, actually? What do you, what, do you, um, what do you? So my dream has always been to be a champion on the LPJ Tour. So anytime I'm out, that's, that's the one thing that I, I look to achieve. And so, but from what you've learned about meditation, yeah. what, does that offer a, a counterpoint to that? The meditation? Yeah. Well, I mean, the idea, like, you know, they're they're ta- in the in the in the little bit of study that I've put towards meditation mm-hmm. and and things on that level, it's like the wanting of something is in and of itself creating perhaps a difficulty around achieving. Right. Yeah. It's almost a conflict of something that realizing you don't have it. Yeah. And so you have that that emptiness that obviously you want to fulfill, but having that conflict of wanting it and realizing you don't have it, whereas meditation, I think, allows you to be in the moment of having everything you need in this moment and right now. And so um, that's something that because, again, like you think so far in advance of what you have to do or what you want to do versus just being in the now um, and then just having that calmness. (laughs) So have you found it having a positive effect on your golf game? I think so. Yeah, I think it definitely helps with like any anxiety uh, that we have out there as you're playing. And um, I'll do mini meditations mid round sometimes. What is that? Um, what is that like? <laughs> what is it? Just close my eyes uh, for 30 seconds or a minute in between shots or while I'm waiting for somebody. And um, you just focus on your breath or you have, uh, you know, you visualize a specific image. And what's the um, image? For me, it's always like a tree. Like really? an individual tree just in the middle of a field. Can you describe the tree? As t- <laughs> I want to see the tree. I want to see Cheyenne's tree. What is it? Okay, my tree is in this big field, and it's deeply rooted. It has um, a very big trunk. Um, it's very full, and the, the leaves are always blowing in the wind. And so when I'm doing my mini meditations, I'm focusing on the sound of the leaves, what they look like blowing, and then also just the quietness of being in a field just solo with the tree. And so it's just... When you're in the moment, you know, you have people watching you and taking pictures or you have a three-foot putt that you need to make to make the cut or whatever it might be. Um, it's a nice way to just kind of collect yourself and um, be more centered. Is, is the tree a specific? Why did you choose the tree? Um, I think I chose the tree because trees are, like I said, deeply rooted to where no matter what comes, they just stay grounded. Um and I just really like that visual of just being able to withstand and be grounded regardless of any condition. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Thanks. All of a sudden now, uh, my parents are probably going to go meditate with the trees. <laughs> trees are relaxing. 
Um, I love being outside too. That's why I love to hike when I'm home. Um, I hike the mountains here in Phoenix and it, I just sit up on top and it's just so nice to have the wind and the quiet and just to be above all of the busyness. And it's just so relaxing to me. So I enjoy that. Um, we did a, uh, a movie, mm-hmm. a documentary about golf and its parallels to Buddhism and more specifically mm-hmm. meditation, mm-hmm. how pro golfers use meditation to, um, you know, basically perform better. Mm-hmm. And even to the point of maybe you've heard of the focus band? Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's very interesting. So for those of you listening that haven't heard me talk about it, it's this sort of device you wear that's got technology inside of it. It measures your brain waves and sends that information via Bluetooth to your app on your cell phone. And you can basically play a game where you can see whether you're properly meditating. Mm-hmm. And uh, this has been used by now... A handful, many handfuls. Yeah. Jason Day, Justin Rose, many, many players since yeah. since we very, started looking at it. Very interesting. And it's funny because without knowing what it is, you'll see these players on the putting green with this crazy <laughs> headband on. You're like, what are they doing? But it is so interesting to, I mean, you think you're quieting your mind and controlling your thoughts, but the focus band really does a great job of letting you know when um, you're in that zone. So have you, you have it? I've worked, I don't have it, but I've worked with it before. Who, who have you worked with that uses it? Uh, it was a putting coach that I had worked with. Um, and Goldsmith? No, it was, um, Mike Shannon. Oh, okay. Um, who was using it while I was getting fit and having a lesson. And it was just very, very interesting to see when you think you're in control, but really it, it really takes effort and it's something that you have to practice. Mm. It, I mean, your brain is a muscle to where you have to, you have to work it and you have to learn how to control and and manage um your thoughts and all of that but two i saw deepak chopra um endorsing it as well so it has it works like it's real and it's very beneficial yeah i mean it's just like i'm i'm flooded with like i I need to meditate because now i have ninety thousand things i want to ask you um so when you um i I guess as an athlete right as as a as a person who's basically trained to like, you know, live in a competitive world, right? Mm-hmm. Everything you're doing is competitive. Yeah, yeah, just about actually, yeah. So, have you now with this last year of meditation being incorporated into your exist pre-existing competitive nature? Mm-hmm. Have you seen surprising changes that not not so much like results, like fewer pots per mm-hmm. round or whatever? Because we did a movie where we basically took fifty golfers of all different skill levels. Uh, you know Brandon Hagee? Yes. So we put Brandon on this thing. Wow. And the next week he won the qualifier. Wow. Yeah, he went like, he shot like a 63 and just That's won. That's amazing. And then he played in the Farmers and made the cut. Yep. And this is on the meditation track. And yep. there's this whole movie about his story, essentially. Wow, I'll have to watch that. Yeah. That's so He's here. I want to go find him. We should yeah, go. We should go track him down. But, um, but in any event, there, there were a lot of, we basically, you know, I'm not, I don't want to spoil it right here on this podcast, yeah. <laughs> but we, we basically, you would be an idiot if you wanted to win and didn't try what the movie has to offer. Mm-hmm. No one's seen the movie yet. So anyway, okay. the whole other story. <laughs> but did you have any other strange outcomes that you weren't expecting from, from this? Um, I would say... So prior to getting into meditation and learning about that whole side of things, um, I used to have so much anxiety. And with being a a competitor and an athlete, you want to perform. And a lot of times you um, connect yourself too closely with your results. 
So when you don't have the results, it's really easy to have that roller coaster of emotions. So with meditation, for me, it was just so much easier to um, sustain throughout a season, whether I was playing well or I was struggling. Um, and I think that is so important, no matter if you're a golfer or you're a lawyer or whatever you're doing in life, just to be able to have that foundation of no matter what you go through, that you're going to be okay and that uh, you're living in the moment and um, focusing on what truly is important. Obviously, I love to play golf and I want to play as best I can, but um, I look at where I am in life like it's amazing. You know, I'm very blessed. So meditation has definitely opened my eyes to just seeing that side of things. You know, it's interesting to hear you talk about what's true. You just mentioned what's truly important, but you mm-hmm. didn't really answer it. You kind yeah. of smiled and said, I'm supposed, <laughs> it sounded like you were saying, I'm supposed to think that winning is the most important. Yeah. I think growing up as an athlete, that's kind of what you're conditioned to think is that you're supposed to want to be number one in the world. You're supposed to want to be a champion. And that's, you know, the number one and most important thing in life, which for a lot of people is, and that's what they value. But for me, um, the things I've been able to experience with traveling and meeting people um, and having friends and family around golf is uh, something that I love to do, but it's not who I am or um, not the number one dictating thing of what makes me happy or not makes me happy. Does that make sense? Absolutely. <laughs> it, it doesn't for a lot of people. That, yeah, that's true. That. Yeah, I think the, mo- the most eye-opening experience I had was when um, I helped out with Golf for Africa, which is Betsy King's charity, um, and in 2000, I think it was 14, I went to Zambia and I raised money through social media to um, put a water well in this village in Zambia. And so we visited this village and we did all this stuff in the bush and met the, the people, the local people, and just to see what they had. I mean, the, to us, they have nothing, you know. They literally live out here. They walk miles every single day to even get drinkable water, which isn't always drinkable. You know, a lot of them die from the water. Um, but then to see like these kids and how beautiful they are and just the energy and these people that to us again have nothing materialistically. But um, I love helping people and so to be able to make those connections and um, there's so much more to life than just making a three-foot putt. <laughs> That's a quote right there. Uh, you know we started off this podcast with you reading a letter, uh, an article that you wrote four years ago. I kind of have this feeling like in my own life, every three to five years, I would look back on my, whoever I was then. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and it's, it's not like I would be, um, it, the feeling is like, is like, wow, I thought I knew it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. I thought I knew a lot then. Yeah. Do you, do, do you, I, but I heard you read your article or mm-hmm. your, it's not, it's not an article. It's more of yeah. like a opinion, mm-hmm. um, your story, you know. I, I don't, I, what, how do you feel like you're, when, when you go back to, not necessarily the subject matter of what you wrote, but more like who you were then as compared to who you are now, I think you may have just answered it, but do you see that at all, like like the change that's taken place in you? Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, four years ago, I was new on tour, professional golf was still fairly new to me, so um, I was getting kind of comfortable and finding my way in that life, and that article was Um, still how I feel today, but I think I've also been able to evolve. And um, I think that for me has been the biggest thing of just evolving as a person. Like I'm more than a golfer. It's okay to be a golfer, but you can be, you can be multidimensional, you know? And so for me to finally allow myself to do that in the last year or so um, has been really cool because, you know, we have other interests outside of golf. And um, I think a lot of times you get kind of 
stuck in this box, you know? Yeah. I mean, we play golf all year, and it's what we do most of the day. So um, that's the biggest thing I noticed from four years to now is just the evolution of me as a person. Just real quick, did Tiger read that? I don't know. I've never asked him. You never asked him? Yeah. I would think you, I wouldn't. That's interesting. He, yeah, I've never asked, I've never talked to him about it. I wonder. I should text him. <laughs> should send him the link. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just from a personal level, like. Yeah. Because he probably doesn't know. Of what it's like, about yeah. what it's like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Tiger has had an entirely different experience, but. Um, By the way, Tiger's experience, probably equally, biz- like, you know, I watched my ex-wife basically feel the same way that I felt unseen because people just wanted right. to get to her. People just didn't even care who she was. Did you see Justin yeah. Bieber's article? No, I didn't. He, it was a while ago. It was like a year or two ago. And he's like, I'm not going to take photos anymore. Mm. If you come up to me and ask for a photo, I will say no. And here's why. You didn't see it. It's so interesting. I remember seeing the quote, yeah. but I didn't read the article. And he explains it. He's like, because all you want to do is take something from me. Yes. You don't yeah. actually care how I'm doing right. or who I am. You right. just think of me as like a poster. Wow. So feel free to come up and ask me how I'm doing. Right. I'll talk to you for five <laughs> minutes, but I will not take a photo with you. That's amazing. Because he said the experience of people, literally, they wouldn't even ask. They would mm-hmm. just walk up, take a photo, and walk away. Yeah. And here's a guy who we, I mean, Bieber's got his, you know, uh, people have opinions right. about him. But it, take away all of the personality of whoever he is, troublemaker, whatever. Mm-hmm. And just look at like a celebrity who's like, I uh, have, you think I have everything I want. Mm-hmm. And the irony is, is that uh, your relationship to me actually makes me feel worse. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're only seen as that public persona or what people want to take from you. Yeah. Um, that is very interesting. And I remember seeing that. I remember seeing the backlash of it. Like, how dare he? You know, these fans who have given you what you have. You know what I mean? And so when you are that public figure, again, you have to kind of take a step back and put yourself first. And who cares what people are going to think? Because you have to take care of yourself. I used to think that it was uh, actors and things and musicians got paid too much. Yeah. And then I watched the reality of their lives change to the point where they can't walk around in public. Yeah. So they then need to live a completely private life, which involves, right. you know, the ridiculous expense of private aircraft and yes. <laughs> a house with a moat. Security. Yeah. Yes. And so the money is like, it's, it's not all justified, but mm-hmm. it's a little bit. I mean, it's Yeah, like, it's almost necessary. And even just in a safety sense, like yeah. these people have such recognizable fate. Like Tiger can't walk and go to the grocery store. You no. know, he can't no. be a normal person. And so, um, in a sense, they do have everything that you would think you would want or that they want, but their lives are so limited to actually what they can. I always think of like Beyonce and Jay-Z, like (laughs) they have this amazing life, I'm sure, but at the same time, they're so limited to what they can even do. And you need that amount of money to have the freedom because a lot of your freedom is taken away once you reach a certain level. Um, Have you seen Adventures in Golf? No, I haven't. It's a great show. Is it? I okay. think you love it. Okay. <laughs> we I bring it up because we were planning on going to South Africa this year. Wow. So if you if you're looking for uh, an opportunity to go, I'm in. You should come. I'm in. I think it'd be really fun. <laughs> what have you done? Have you been? We were planning on going to um, Hans Marenski Golf Course. Oh wow. Which is uh, an eight hour drive from Johannesburg, mm-hmm. NBD, 
And it's like on the border of Kruger National Park. Wow. Which is like the images of the tea box. There's like a giraffe on one, wow. like a real giraffe. That's amazing. Are you into that? I love that. Of course. Who wouldn't be? Because what is it about? I love that stuff. What is it? Because I've never been to South Africa. I've never been okay. to. You've also been to Morocco. You've, yeah. I've never been to Africa. And wow. I host a travel show. So I'm like, I'm kind yeah. of jealous. Okay. Because I've always wanted to go to both of those places. Um, what is it? Do you love South Africa for its golf or just its culture? The culture. Um, golf for me has always been an excuse to travel the world. Um, I le- Same. <laughs> um, that's why I loved playing European tour. I mean, when else do you have the opportunity to go to these countries and experience these things? And, um, it's such a nice combination of playing this great sport and then also going to these amazing countries. So in South Africa, I love the adventure. It's so different than anything we experience really here in the States of the bubble that a lot of us are in. Um, the nature, everything just feels so pure. Obviously, there's they have their issues there too. But um, yeah, the adventure and just the unknown is what I love. I love trying new things. Yeah, uh, I think someone defined adventure, because the show we do is called Adventures mm-hmm. in Golf. And I think someone... So I can't remember. Someone was like, we're going to go have an adventure today. And the parent was like, what do you mean? And the kid was like, it just means we're going to go out with no idea what's going to happen. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that really is the like founding like inspiration for the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, you're on tour. Yes. You have, you're, you're traveling for work. Yes. How do you incorporate adventure into that tight schedule? Um, even little things like trying new restaurants. You know, um, trying new restaurants or whatever city we're in, trying to see what there is locally to do. Um, I love going to concerts. I love, I always try to plan like a girl's trip or any kind of trip throughout the year where we can go and do something um, outside of golf. So you have to make time for it um, because it is something that's important for me. It's something that makes me happy and I enjoy. And so I always try to find time for that. It's definitely difficult um with our playing schedules but uh, i try i try to as much as i can yeah what about like uh travel tips you know what i mean like you you must have figured out what 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 is your what is your like secret uh you know pro tip for traveling wish i i'm honestly the worst traveler i I lose passports i miss flights um i'm late for a lot of stuff so and i overpack my bags are always overweight, so don't ask me for any <laughs> tips because I am not the one to ask. Really? I, yeah. I, you would think I'm better. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, the thing that I'm really good at is going with the flow. So I'm okay with missing a flight. I'm okay with, you know, we don't get to do this, so we're going to be late for that. Like, it's not the end of the world. Like, it's cool. We're going to figure it out, and it's still going to be fun. <laughs> easy going. Very laid back, very easy going. Go with the flow. That's, uh, that's helpful on the golf course. It is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, what are you What are you working on right now in your golf game? Um, this past offseason, I've worked a lot on my putting because um, I hit a lot of fairways. I'm a great ball striker, but I've lost mo- the most shots on the green. And so for me, it was honestly just to stop overthinking and trying to be too perfect. So with that easygoing personality, I need to kind of take that to the green. Um, it's so easy for us as golfers to be perfectionists and think you have to be in every, you know, at the right position at all times. But I'm so much better when I can just see the hole and react to it as an athlete versus being so constrained to one position and trying to be perfect. So for me, it's just been to free things up on the green, and um, it's been really, really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. They say something like, you can read a green in five seconds. 
Yeah. I mean, how many times have you gone out to a green, like you're just putting, warming up, and you make it, you know, without even really reading it? Um, you can read it by, obviously, just your eyes and your feet. And, you know, you see people out there doing the, the little finger thing and all that, but you can definitely overread a green. Yeah. And so I try not to do that anymore. <laughs> um, I think, any questions for me? Wow. Um, <laughs> um, I wasn't prepared for this. <laughs> it's okay. You don't. You don't. No, few people do have a question for me. Usually, really? it's like, when is it over? When is this over? Are we over? <laughs> <laughs> Did you play with your watch? What kind yeah. of watch do you have? What are we looking um, at? So this is a Rolex. Rose gold. Rose gold. Day love chest. It. I love. I Can love I gold. It? Rose gold. Um, I don't like wearing it because it just feels really fancy. <laughs> it's okay. But I love it because it's just so pretty. It's very nice. Thank you. Yeah, I like it. Thanks. Um, they're very expensive to fix. I dropped it. You once. had to fix it. What happened? I dropped it once, and the screen shattered. And oh, so no. now I'm super careful with it. But um, thank you. Do you wear it when you play golf? No. Yeah. Yeah. I, That's good. The one thing my grandpa did tell me was don't wear any jewelry or anything on your wrist while you play. That's good advice. I guess I don't know. One of those weird things I always remembered and never did. So. What's your favorite thing in your golf bag? Um, <laughs> probably my chapsticks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's yeah. just like something I always have to have on Traveling me. Traveling a lot. The plane is very dry. Yeah. A desert. chapstick is the one thing that you always have to have on you because that's the most annoying thing is chapped lips. They, uh, they, I feel like there's science behind chapstick perpetuating chapped lips. I don't think chapstick really works. <laughs> 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 I think it's just like a temporary fix. Yeah. Um, but it tastes good. My lips feel chapped right now. Well, because you're in the desert. Yeah. You're dehydrated. It's pretty bad. You need to drink water. Um, what is your, so, so uh, this is an interesting question. So we talked about like the sound of the ball yes. and stuff like that. Like we did this during the movie with the meditations, right? It was like, it was like pick the one part of golf that is not performance or score related and describe what is your favorite of those, right? It's like putting on a glove, putting a mm. tee in the ground, uh, marking your ball, mm -hmm. uh, pulling the flag out. Like, like, do you have a do you have like a moment in golf that you're like that is dessert? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I love pouring the balls out on the range. Pouring them out on the range, like yeah. that, like the um, for short game. Yeah. From the tube. No, like on the on the driving range, whether they're in a pyramid or oh, right. like they're in the little bucket and you just dump them out and they're like fresh and the grass is nice and it's just like the start of your day just like getting everything going right i don't know I like, like the sound of it just is nice yeah, and then yeah. just like seeing the balls just go everywhere is kind of cool and they're all dull like fresh uh yeah. you know um like soft soft cover yeah, yeah yeah and you just smack them out there yeah the range is uh i used to go to the range so much more yeah. but now um i don't care no <laughs> sometimes that's best yeah. i don't know it works yeah. me being better at golf does not mean i'm better at my job which yeah um, yeah must be nice my, yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> um all right well thank you for your time awesome thank you that was it. fun yeah, it was good Sweet. have a good day everybody and uh if yeah we'll put all your you know your phone number and everything below oh, and we'll get directly in touch put with my you. address and social security yeah. and all that <laughs>